0: First passage is from Psalms, versus, uh, uh, Psalm 118, verses uh, 14 to 24, and I'll be reading from the New International Version. The Lord is my strength and my song, He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I'll give you thanks for you have answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it.
1: And I'll be reading from Acts 10, verses 17 to the end of the chapter. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men from the, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was, and they stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all of the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come told, <laughs> told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea, Cornelius' is expecting them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people, He said to them you are well aware that it is against the law for Jews to associate with Gentiles or to visit them but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean so when I was sent for I came without raising any objection may I ask why you've sent for me Cornelius answered four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon And suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it is good that you have come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything that the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. You know what's happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are the witnesses of everything that he did in the country for the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by the people, but by witnesses, whom God had already chosen, by us, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one that God appointed as judge of the living and of the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days.
2: We all experience events in our life that change us. They start when we're very little, and they keep happening as we get older. Learning to walk and talk seem fairly life-changing, right? Right? That's a good starting point for life-changing events. Though we may not remember those as much as graduating from school, learning to drive, traveling the world, getting married, having children. For many, meeting a spouse for the first time would be life-changing. For me, not so much. Now, my wife's at the back, so she knows what I'm going to say, and she's smiling, so that should give you a good hint that I'm not in trouble. You see, we were in grade four together. We were in the exact same grade four class. And even though we're 95% sure, she sat right behind me in class as we were seated in alphabetical order because uh, we know that there's a, uh, in the class there's a uh, set of twins with the last name starting with G. I know they are seat two and three behind me. I remember this. Uh, Christine and I don't remember each other at all. The life-changing event happened in grade five when I left that school to go to a different school, and my wife had no idea who I was until university again. How did that change my life? By God's grace, my wife did not see me in those years. I was socially awkward, had bad hair, and was an annoying teenage boy. By God's grace. Uh, that was a life-changing event for both of us, as, uh, um, until we met each other again in university. Some events that are life-changing are harder. We've been there, right? Losing a loved one. Cancer diagnosis. There's many events that are life-changing that way. Other events that are life-changing can be rooted in faith. Realizing who Jesus is and accepting his love and salvation. Taking a step of faith and being baptized. Sharing our faith with someone else for the first time are just some examples of faith-based um, uh, faith-based life changes we can go through. It also seems every generation has its big event. Events that seem to change the world. Rosa Parks stepping onto a bus. Or maybe for some of you, Neil Armstrong stepping onto the moon. Or, depending on your perspective, a sound stage. Not weighing in on either side. The shooting of JFK. For other generations, it would be the fall of the Berlin Wall. For me, the Gulf War was eye-opening as I watched on TV, the events unfolding at that. Even later, there's events such as 9-11. And for our current generations, perhaps COVID and the Ukraine war will be events that are seen as life-changing in our world, for us as a culture and a society. This morning's text that we looked at is one of those life-changing experience stories, both on the personal scale for this man named Cornelius and for the more familiar person to us, the disciple Peter. But it is also life-altering on the larger scale of community for the church. So what is this life-altering experience? I mean, so far in Acts, we've seen the ascension of Jesus, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. We saw the church being persecuted and spread out into the world. And last week, we saw the calling of Saul and the transformation of his life from persecutor of Christ the follower of Christ, and being the persecuted. These are all large events in the book of Acts, and each one having significant impact on individual lives. But this chapter, chapter 10, where we see this meeting between Cornelius and Peter, after Peter had a vision or dream, is one of the most significant life-altering of moments in the book of Acts as it represents the gospel moving out beyond the Jewish community to the Gentiles, to those who weren't Jewish. And we see that the Gentiles can receive the salvation of Jesus and are even given the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is life-altering, life-changing for the larger church. It's life-altering for the individuals involved. And it's impactful for each and every one of us. And it's also not something that should be a surprise. Though it was. When it comes to faith... Often these life-changing events is actually us catching up with what God is doing. It's not that God's changed course to doing something completely different. It's us actually getting on the same page of what God is already working towards and doing. It's life-changing because we need to reorient ourselves to what God has already promised and is doing. And when God made a covenant promise to Abraham, it was so all families on earth, everyone would be blessed. When God addressed Pharaoh in Egypt, he told him, I have raised up you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. We see in Psalms such as Psalm 67 and 96, a desire for the nations of the earth to proclaim praise to God. We see in the prophets such as Isaiah, God's words de- declaring the nations will come to him to worship him and follow his ways. As we read through the Old Testament, we get glimpses of what God was working to accomplish. We see in the Great Commission a call to go into all the world to the ends of the earth. And clearly in that, there's something more than just the Jewish community. It's all the world. And so here we are in Acts 10, and we see the first two true Gentile convert in Luke's writings as Cornelius comes to have faith in Jesus. So I wanted to look over the life-changing experience Cornelius and Peter had, and then what that means to the larger church, including us. And then I want us to look at some of the underlying pieces that created this life-changing experience. How did this come about? Because we should each be experiencing life change on a regular basis as disciples of Christ. Does that seem wrong to you? To say that, that each of us should have life-changing experiences on a fairly ongoing basis as disciples? That shouldn't seem wrong. What should seem wrong is the life of disciples of Jesus Christ, whose life is not changed and transformed on an ongoing and regular basis. Believers in Jesus who profess Him as Lord, but are not growing as disciples. Disciples. That is wrong. And growing as disciples means becoming more Christ-like, which means our life is being changed, transformed. Changed from looking like the world to looking the way Christ wants us to be. To grow as a disciple is to have your life transformed and changed. I think one of the dangers we face as the church, especially in North America is a temptation to settle into a groove and not grow or change anymore. But there isn't room as disciples to be status quo. None of us has truly arrived as fully grown disciples. We are all sinners saved by grace. And we still have much to learn about God and much to learn about living the way God has called us to. We still have things God is calling us to be. To do and be and know. And the best example of a person to illustrate that we all need to keep growing perhaps is in today's story where we find Peter. Peter, the very one Jesus claimed would be the rock in which Jesus would build his church. Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times, was forgiven and recommitted himself to serving the risen Lord Peter is one of the most incredible disciples there ever was. And here he is in Acts 10, and he has this dream or vision, and it's one that will shake him to his very core. It will change his life, and he will grow from it. So if Peter is still growing, perhaps it's fair to assume that each of us still has growing to do. But the purpose of this story in Acts 10 isn't about individuals solely growing. It's a life-changing event in the community of believers, in the church. The church is changed and transformed through this story. But to understand this change, we begin with looking at the individuals involved who have their life changed. So let's start by looking at Cornelius. And like I mentioned, he's usually considered the first true Gentile convert. Now, what could be wrong with that from the book of Acts? Do we know of another convert who wasn't Jewish? The Ethiopian eunuch, right? Usually theologians do not consider him a Gentile convert because they considered him to be a Jewish convert first. So there's some theology there we could wrestle with. But for the sake of this conversation, we're going to go with Cornelius being the example of a Gentile convert. And the context of who he is is presented to us in a very Roman way, in a very Gentile way. He's in Caesarea, the seat of Roman administration in Judea. He's a soldier, a Roman soldier, a centurion, in fact, which tells us that he's been a professional soldier because that rank usually took 12 to 20 years to achieve. And he's part of the Italian regiment, which is a group of about 600 soldiers. Luke is going out of his way, To make sure we know, we are talking about a Gentile person in a significantly Gentile city working for a Gentile military and is a privileged member of the Gentile Roman society. Luke's trying to make it clear that this is a Gentile. Now, we're also told Cornelius is devout and God-fearing. And this is language that would uh, be used normally for Gentiles who are attracted, uh, attracted to Judaism but aren't willing to go all in and get circumcised so because he would be uncircumcised to the Jews this Gentile is clean no matter how devout and God-fearing he is that said we're also told he's very generous cares for others and is a person of prayer and what happens next with Cornelius is astounding in all of Luke's writing a Gentile receives an angelic visitor in a vision He's the only Gentile to be gifted this miraculous experience in Luke's writings. And God calls on Cornelius and us to take a step forward in faith, a step that will transform his life. And he's instructed to send men and get Peter and bring him back. So he does. He obeys. Then we come to Peter. A leader in the church, a disciple of Jesus, and as we mentioned, the rock in which the church is to be built. And Peter was praying and fasting, and Peter was praying at noon, a traditional time for prayer, just as the 3 p.m. that's mentioned about Cornelius having the vision was a traditional time of prayer. Peter was hungry and awaiting a meal, and he falls into a trance, we're told, and he sees lowered from heaven a large sheet. With four corners filled with all sorts of animals, including reptiles and birds, and the voice telling him to kill and eat. Peter answers as if this is a test. He says, Surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. In his mind, the test has been passed. But the voice responds to him, and not the way he ever expected. The voice says, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This has to happen three times to Peter for him to fully understand, and even then he's left wondering, what is this all about? But then lives intersect as God intended. Cornelius' men arrive at Peter's door, and God instructs Peter to go downstairs and to go with them. They explain who they are, why they're there, and Peter invites them in and shows them hospitality. Now, we might say, oh, that's nice, This is revolutionary. Peter, a Jew, clean, invites in unclean Gentiles to stay in his house. This is life-changing. The world is shifting before him. As he follows through on the vision, his life is being changed. The next day, Peter heads out to Cornelius. And when he arrives, he finds Cornelius along with family and close friends. They talk, each sharing what God has revealed to them, and Peter revealing he is not to call anyone impure or unclean. Cornelius shares with Peter what the angel revealed to him and says they are now in the presence of God to hear what the Lord commands. So Peter connects the dots and ultimately preaches to this group of unclean Gentiles about Jesus. But they're not unclean Gentiles anymore. They're just like Peter, a sinner in need of grace. They're just like you and me, sinners in need of grace. And Peter preaches about Jesus, about the prophecies of him, of his life and his call on them. And he testifies to him. He shares how Jesus lived, died, and rose again. And as Peter was speaking, something phenomenal happened. The Holy Spirit came on the Gentile audience. A gift that so far has been reserved for the Jews who follow Jesus it was now shared clearly with the Gentiles and they spoke in tongues, just like the Pentecost we read about earlier on in the book of Acts. Peter recognized what was happening and then baptizes them all in the name of Jesus. And Peter stayed with them, accepting their hospitality. Again, life-changing. Because when we accept hospitality, we're lowering ourselves and making ourselves humble and dependent on someone else. And again, a clean Jew accepting hospitality from unclean Gentiles. Except they're not that anymore. They are now brothers and sisters in Christ. Their lives lives have been transformed. And in these moments, these conversations, Cornelius came to learn about Jesus and became a disciple of Jesus, part of the church. Peter's life was transformed, recognizing that the good news of Jesus truly was for everyone, for all people. But the biggest change was going to be for the whole church. A church that had been primarily Jewish had had to now throw open its doors and be willing to welcome everyone into it. So they too could know the grace and love of Jesus Christ and take up the journey of discipleship that would transform their lives, that would lead them to repent from sin and the ways of the world and seek a life of grace empowered by the Spirit and live God's way. And this transformation is revolutionary for the church, mind-boggling, in fact, for those people back then. The Gentiles are now fully called and empowered to be part of the body of Christ. They had been gifted the Spirit of God, just as the Jews were. They had been seen as lesser than, unclean, impure. They were looked down upon, and now they're to be called brothers and sisters. Paul would eventually go on to write these words about divisions within the church that we can create. He said, there's neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave, nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ we are all one. Look at our world around us and how divided and divisive it is. And think about how life-changing being a part of the church where we are all one in Jesus, where our divisions in this world do not matter because we are all sinners in need of grace. The church had been transformed through this encounter of Peter and Cornelius. It was a life-changing transformation for each of them, and thus the church as well. It wasn't just that the Gentiles were welcomed in. It's that barriers and divisions had been removed. They were all equal in the body of Christ. And that we each come as sinners and are saved by grace. And again, here's another verse from Paul. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That's why Christ came, is to save sinners. So we could all be saved by grace. That was life-changing for the church then, and it's life-changing for us now. When we come to that spot of recognizing that We are worthy in the eyes of God. We are loved by God. We are created by God. We are valued by God. And he sent Jesus because of his love for us. To save us from our brokenness and the sin and the divisions and the evil of this world. To be with us in the difficult times. And that we have a hope far beyond anything of this world. So I want us to glean now from this some thoughts on how does life transformation happen? How did this happen to Cornelius and Peter? How does it happen to us? Because I don't believe we just stumble into life change. But that's how our world kind of thinks it works, right? we got to hunt it down. we got to find it out. Just go to a bookstore and look at the self-help section. Or the community programming, all the self-help, op, self-help options there. You can make yourself a better person this way or a better person this way. Just do these 10 steps and look what you'll be. You'll be farther ahead. You'll be richer. You'll be wealthier. You'll be healthier. You'll be better. And you know what? We're still sinners living in a broken world that is messed up and problematic and has evil in it, has sickness We can try all the self-help things. We can chase after all those things in this world. It's not going to get us where we want to be. Now I'm not saying some of those things aren't good on some level. Yes, we want to be healthy and take care of our bodies. Yes, we want to be good stewards of resources. But if you think that doing that better is going to solve all your problems, You're closing your eyes to the reality of the world and the condition of all of us that we live in this broken, sinful, messed up world and we need help beyond ourselves that can only come from Jesus Christ. We don't stumble into life change. Life transformation is not a treasure hunt. God comes to us We don't have to seek him out. God loved the world so much, he sent his son to it. God came to us. God gave his spirit to us. God's there. God wants a relationship with you. God wants to journey with you. The question is, Not where is God. The question is, are we paying attention? Are we open to what God wants for us? Are we listening? Are we open to what God wants? Are we holding so tight to what we want that we can't let go and hold on to God instead? If discipleship is about turning away from the ways of the world to the ways of God's kingdom... That means it's letting our old selves die off and being made new in Christ. Letting go of the evil and brokenness in the world and putting our hope in Jesus. As Ben would say, it's being a lifelong follower of Jesus. And that means letting go of the things that we want to follow in this world to focus on Jesus. Discipleship is an ongoing and life-changing experience. I think the risk is far too often we're comfortable with our life not being changed anymore because we said a prayer and we want to hold on to the world and have that. So let me ask you, would you say your life is still being transformed on an ongoing basis by Jesus? Amen. Amen. Are you still growing in faith? Is your life becoming more and more reflective of Jesus in this world? Are you willing to let go of wealth and power and influence and control in this world to let Jesus lead your life? Are you willing to let go of the truths and beliefs of this world? to focus on the truths and beliefs of Jesus. These are ongoing things, not just one-time decisions. This isn't just about growing in knowledge either, because we can learn all the book stuff we want. But Jesus is about changing our heart and how we live out our life, not just getting us stuff into our head. I want us to look at Cornelius and Peter and see some of the things they had in common that allowed them to hear and respond to God and experience those life change. Now, I'm not saying God's going to send an angel or give us visions in trances, but I do believe God still speaks to us and calls us to be transformed today. So first things, Peter and Cornelius were both obedient to God in their life. They sought, they read scriptures, and they sought to obey them. I mean, that's why Peter says, hey, I don't touch the impure stuff, the unclean stuff. Because that was his understanding. Cornelius had a reputation among the Jewish community for being God-fearing, and he was generous. He had been transformed by the Jewish scriptures. He was faithful. He was a righteous Gentile as far as they go so they list they were engaged with Scripture so question for you how are you engaging with Scripture and you might say oh Mike it's great I read through the Bible every year I do that too but I got to tell you I need to work on it that I don't glaze over and just get through my readings for the day anybody else have that problem Oh, four chapters, let's get into it and get through it so I can go watch my TV show. Not how it works. I don't care how much scripture you read. It doesn't matter if you're not willing to reflect and engage with it and ask God, what are you saying to me in this? What does this mean for my life? What does this affirm? What does this challenge Peter and Cornelius were both people of prayer. And it's very telling to us when they says in Scripture that Peter was praying anew, Cornelius had his vision at 3 p.m., because those were traditional times of prayer. These were two people that were established in a prayer routine in their life that, was, that permeated their day. What is your prayer life like? And what does prayer mean to you? There's that great acronym of ACTS, adoration, confessing, thanksgiving, supplication, which is asking for the needs around us. Do you just do one of those, or are you working on having a breadth in your prayer life and turning to God? Do you see prayer as a conversation or a shopping list? I think it's very easy to turn it into a shopping list. And God cares for our needs. Don't get me wrong, but there's so much more to prayer. Which leads us to the next part. They were both people who listened. Peter and Cornelius listened to each other and to God. Through prayer and being rooted in the scriptures and in obedience, they were in a place where they were willing to listen and they were open to listening. They were willing to hear what God was saying even when it wasn't what they expected. And when they heard God speak, they recognized that it was God speaking, and they listened. And you'll notice that they also shared with each other what God had said. So there's actually even a sense of, hey, let's do this together and understand this together. Because so often, well, God said this to me, and we're not accountable to anybody else. Well, I've heard people say some really crazy things that God wanted that were contrary to actually what Scripture said. It's very easy for us to put that phrase, well, God told me on something to justify something. It's a lot harder to discern what God is saying in community together and wrestle with it together. Which leads us to the next point. They were humble. They held their knowledge with humility. Peter is a great example of this with the the image of the unclean food coming down. And yet God was telling him something different than he ever expected. Cornelius was open to what God was doing and learned about Jesus. They, They knew what they believed, but they held it with a sense of humility that maybe we've misunderstood something. Maybe we could have something wrong. God, show us the truth. Reveal to us by your Spirit, Lord, what you want us to know and who you want us to be. And we hold it accountable to Scripture. God's Word. But we have to have humility to do that. We have to have a humility to say, I'm a sinful person and I make mistakes. And that means we then have to listen to one another. Hear each other's hearts. Hear, listen for what God is doing. They were also a people of hospitality. Giving and receiving. And this is something that is far undervalued in the church in North America today, and yet was foundational for the early church. In fact, hospitality was often seen as the greatest gift a believer could have. And hospitality today still has the ability to transform lives just by welcoming someone into your home or being willing to receive hospitality from someone else. Peter at Cornelius in his home Cornelius had Peter in his home. Hospitality is really about encountering people where they are, but also being willing to let them be hospitable to you and showing that right back. It's a reciprocal relationship. And that's not always easy because you're giving up control, you're giving up some sense of power. But in that, there's an incredible grace where you open yourself up to God working. Especially when you do hospitality for people you really don't know. I still love some of the people I've met along my journey of faith. People who, every Sunday, pot of soup on, who's coming over? Don't know yet. We'll see, but we'll have somebody over. And they'd ask people after church until somebody would come. And it didn't start with, oh, well, they're in my small group, so they get preferential treatment. It was, God, who do you need me to invite over today? I love that radical hospitality. And hospitality can be far more radical than that. But that's not what our world does, is it? We like to have our houses, garages on the front, double garage so we can both drive in, close the garage door, walk in the house. We don't have to see anybody. what does hospitality look like in your life? Where can you take a step of faith in this? One of the areas that will result in our church growing, I'm not talking numerically, but spiritually as a community, is a sense of hospitality and seeking out those we don't know and getting to know them and inviting them into our homes and sharing time together and being together. This is an area of growth for many of us. And I challenge you to wrestle with that. And Peter and Cornelius were changed together. The transformation happened in a community context. Each of their changes encouraged each other's change. God intersected their lives. They each were experiencing different life changes, but they were also interconnected, and they experienced that journey together. We are all changed one life at a time, but we're also changed in community. We need to share that with one another. Because we encourage each other. We affirm it with each other. Now, the question for you I have is, do you want our church to be used to transform lives in the world? You might say, well, Mike, the answer is obvious, yes. It's either yes or Jesus. I went to Sunday school, Mike. But do we? Or are we pretty comfortable coming here with our group of people and those we know, and going back home. This is an intentional choice we each have to individually make as a church. Because transforming the world as a church begins with each of us allowing God to transform our lives. It begins with us being community, it begins with radical hospitality, it begins with listening. It begins rooting ourselves individually in Scripture and prayer and listening to what God is saying. And as we do that, as we are each changed individually, then our community is transformed one person at a time, one step at a time. Communities are changed one life at a time as we each individually submit our life to Christ, live God's way, and love God and our neighbors as ourselves. And individual transformations through the community, through the church, happen one life at a time. That's how we measure growth as a church, is how each life is impacted inside and outside the church. It doesn't matter about numbers here on a Sunday morning. It matters about what the Holy Spirit is doing in us and through us. We could be a very effective church at Outreach and have nobody else come to our church, but they all go to other churches. And do you know what our response to that should be? Praise the Lord. Because we are about the kingdom of God. Not building PCC, not building our reputations. We're about following Jesus. And as our community is transformed one life at a time, we will be agents of change for the communities around us, around our church, around our home, and our work. I want to challenge you. If you've not sensed God speaking to you, calling you to grow and be transformed, don't presume it's because you got things down pat. Don't think it's because God isn't speaking anymore. He might just not be saying what you want to hear. It might be, wait. It might be endure this. It might be put your hope in me long term because it's going to be a rough go. So let's start by listening as a community of faith and individually and asking God to show us what we need to know, who we need to be, and who he wants us to connect with for his glory. Let's bow in prayer. Jesus, you came into this world out of God's love for us. Help us to receive you in our lives daily, allowing you to speak by your Spirit to us, empowering us to work in this world, challenging us to change to be more Christ-like, and humble enough to recognize you're speaking to us and to allow those changes to take place. Lord, work in our church. May your spirit work in each of us, prompting us, challenging us, encouraging us. So we are experiencing life change on an ongoing basis as your disciples for your glory. Amen.